Hello, and thank you for joining us today on Workforce Institute Radio. I'm Joyce Marone, Executive Director of the Workforce Institute at Kronos, and today we're continuing the series of podcasts I'm hosting on key ideas from our most recently published book, that book being uh, Being Present, a Practical Guide for Transforming the Employee Experience of Your Frontline Workforce. Our book is a practical guide comprised of chapters contributed by our wonderful board of advisors on how to transform the employee experience of your frontline workforce with a special focus on jobs that require the employee to be physically present to do their job. So think about the cashier at a store, the home health worker, or the barista at your favorite coffee shop. My guest today is Dennis Miller. He's the Associate Vice President of Human Resources and Benefits Administration at the Claremont Colleges a consortium of seven separate and highly regarded institutions of higher education, including Pomona College, Harvey Mudd College, Claremont McKenna College, Scripps College, Keck Graduate Institute, Claremont Graduate University, and Pfizer College. Dennis has held several executive roles over his long career in human resources and was formerly the chief employment officer for Cal Poly Pomona Foundation. Dennis's main focus in the workplace is organizational development with an emphasis on process improvement through the application of technology and team development. His chapter in our book is entitled Using Technology to Improve Your Frontline Employee Experience. Dennis, has expen- it, it, Dennis himself has extensive experience selecting and deploying human resource technology in the higher education sphere and shares his key tips for making these tools work for organizations, employees, and students. Dennis, thanks so much for joining me today. Uh, Joyce, thank you for having me. Well, let's move on to question number one, and that is, can you tell our audience a little bit about yourself and why you are interested in contributing this particular chapter to the When I describe myself as an HR professional, uh, the one thing I, I always mention is is the way that I approach work. And the way that I've approached my HR role in working toward successful outcomes for the organization is basically to start every day with a mindset that I'm a business manager with expertise in HR. This mindset allows for the flow of thinking to start at the organizational level in a broad business sense before jumping into the HR thinking, which in turn allows for the HR thinking and, of course, work to be laser-focused and aligned with the needs of the organization. That's kind of how I describe myself from an HR perspective, a business manager first with an expertise in HR. So when I was asked to write a chapter in this book, I was very, uh, very happy to, to get that invitation, humbled a bit. And, of course, I agreed readily. And I think the, the probably the first and most important reason that, that I wanted to contribute to this particular book was to tell the story of successes that the team experienced and continues to experience at the foundation over an extended, over an extended period of time. In fact, in, in my view, it's a testament of the hard work of many foundation employees, most of which are in the IT department, HR, and payroll departments. The employees in these three departments They went well beyond what was required of them to do their job and the people who made it possible for these major accomplishments to be realized and, of course, institutionalized. So I think the key reason is the chapter in the book is really 
to recognize their hard work and accomplishments in a highly public and rather permanent medium. So I really appreciated the opportunity. Uh, second reason, you know, I, I wanted to talk about how technology can be used and leveraged to solve common process deficiencies in such a manner as to benefit employees by having fewer process problems and typical frustrations that one might experience when using manual processes or faulty processes. A foundation, uh, the process problems described in the chapter, uh, they tended to impact more frontline workers than anyone else. And a foundation uh, telling the story helps show that using technology is not intended to help just one group of people. It should help all employees, all managers in the company, of course, uh, as a whole. So the chapter uh, does provide a handful of examples on how those those uh, improvements uh, materialized at foundation. And I think the final reason is the third main reason I would really talk about is to show how leveraging technology should provide measurable value, measurable value for the business. A foundation we chose to modify our existing manual workflows to match up with how the technology was designed to operate and the areas we chose to customize was only in customizing reports. So although the system features were configured to our needs, there was no system level customization. And I wanted to talk about the importance of achieving those benefits from that approach longer term. And of course, uh, writing the chapter in the book gave me an opportunity to do that. So today, I like to tell this part of the story, even at Foundation today, after really almost a decade, the HR and payroll budgets are at 15% less than what they were a decade ago, and that's a direct result of the improvements we made through leveraging technology. So again, I'm, I'm happy to be here, and, and thank you for inviting me, Joyce. Well, well, thank you so much, Dennis, and yours is a particularly um, chapter in this book because it is a pretty detailed case study on what you did at you you the foundation a few times so just to be clear for our listeners this is the Cal Poly Pomona Foundation which was your uh, a previous employer for you and um, so where I'd like to go next is if you could talk in a little detail about sort of the you know, before, during, and after picture of this case study, because I think a lot of times when we're um, attempting to share best practices with other organizations, sometimes people can feel like they're getting a lot of headlines. Your your story, as you lay it out in the book, is is pretty granular in terms of what it took and very practical advice on how to move these kinds of big change efforts Along, So I'm going to turn the floor back over to you to tell the story of, you know, how did you how did you determine that you had an issue that needed to be solved at Cal Poly Pomona and what you did about it? Uh, well, uh, when I when I joined the Cal Poly Pomona Foundation, uh, the HR function had uh, it had basically four different platforms to, 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 to operate the payroll and the HR function, four different platforms that interacted with each other. They were interfaced with each other. And the interface process itself is, is not always squeaky clean. So imagine for a minute that this is an example that I really talked about in the chapter in the book. It's really just a symptom of the broken processes that existed. So think for a minute that you're a, a, a student worker 
on a campus and you work in the dining services area, you, you work at Subway or Starbucks or whatever venue it happens to be, and you decide that you want to move. So the way that you notify the payroll department or the HR department is you, you go online or maybe you go to your supervisor and you ask them for a form to change your address. So you find the form, you, you fill it out and you stick it in intercompany mail and you send it to either HR or payroll. So the form itself gets routed through the campus mail and takes a day or two, maybe three days to arrive at the, the department that it's addressed to. And then one of the employees gets that form and they open it. They open the, the they open the mail, they, they get that form and then they stick it into a, a priority of work that they have to do. So they they ultimately at some point, two, three days later, a week later, maybe two weeks later, they, they get that form and they process it because it's just one form of, of dozens or maybe even hundreds of forms that may be put in the queue to get to get transacted. So they enter the form into the system and they change the address. But that address is not changed in the HR system and the payroll system. It's only changed in one of the systems because now whoever received that form first has to take it to the other department. And then that person goes through the same experience. They get that document, they put it in their work queue, and then they update the system that they have to, um, to record the proper address. That might take two, three weeks, may take even longer. Sometimes the forms don't even arrive because they get lost, right? Because it's a manual process. In the meanwhile, a payroll process has occurred. So now everybody got paid three days ago. And where does that check go for that student worker? That goes to the old address. So now you have a worker, a student worker. Oftentimes they're from other states, maybe even from other countries. In many cases, this is the first time they're away from home. And they've just worked for a couple of weeks. They're expecting a check. Usually it's a pretty small check because usually when you work in dining services, you're a minimum wage worker. But they still need that money. They need it. They need it like everyone needs it. So the check doesn't come. So they panic. So they show up at the payroll office. Hey, my check didn't come in the mail today. So the payroll department says, okay, we'll avoid that check and we'll issue another one. So now the payroll department, five days a week, is issuing, they're, they're, they're canceling out a check that they wrote and they're, they're issuing a manual check. Five days a week, twice a day, they run a process to, to replace those checks. But not all students show up that same day. Some of them wait another day or two days or three days. In the meanwhile, they're panicking. Where's my money? So think for a minute what a, what a student should be doing. A student should be thinking about their coursework, thinking about studying, thinking about getting good grades, maybe thinking about extracurricular activity. Whatever it is they're thinking about, it shouldn't be, where's my check? So that was really the best symptom uh, when I first joined the, the Cal Poly Pomona Foundation. That was the best symptom to talk about when I spoke with our directors and our board of directors when I went to get money to implement a new system. So the, the, the text in the book that I wrote, uh, it has three or four examples just like that. I probably have 10 or 12 of them. But those types of problems, they impact everyone, and they certainly impact the frontline workers. And in the case of Cal Poly Pomona, you know, they have 23, 24,000 students there. Many of them work in dining services or the bookstore. And having a faulty process like that absolutely needed to be addressed 
and, and resolved. And more than anything, uh, the examples in the text and in the chapter, uh, they illustrate those types of symptoms that can be solved with a good platform. Now, the platform we moved to, it had a very, very important ingredient. It had a single database for timekeeping, payroll, and HR. And the reason that we chose that database was simply because I knew from a process standpoint, as long as I had systems interfacing with one another, process issues would still exist in some format of the type that, that we had. Now, they may not have been quite as bad, depending on the system that we deployed, but fortunately, we were able to find a, a, a platform that did have a single database for timekeeping, payroll, and HR. And frankly, it, it worked better than I envisioned uh, early on. So we were really happy about that organizationally. So when you think about um, what you did to prepare and then deploy the new technology platform, I imagine it didn't happen overnight because these things generally don't. So what what approach did you take to um, increase the likelihood of success for your projects? Yeah, well, Cal Poly Pomona being a, an institution of higher education, uh, for those listeners who aren't familiar with that particular space, uh, change and change management is a very lengthy process. And it's like that by design, and it's not a criticism. It's just the environment that you, you live in. Uh, many, many decisions are made in groups, and it takes time to get groups together. It takes time to reach consensus. Usually it requires a lot of education. So in in the case of this particular transition, uh, it was actually pretty easy to convince the board of directors to spend money on a new platform because most of them had heard about complaints from students not getting paid on time or a list of other problems that were really symptoms of, a, of the of the real problem, uh, not having a good platform in place. So once we once we were able to achieve funding from the board of directors, once we received approval, then it was a matter of, OK, how do we roll this out? How do we implement the platform? And and then how do we take advantage of all the features that exist? So the, the focus that we took uh, and it was at a time when when a lot of people in the industry were talking about going green and you know reducing the paper and all that. There were a lot of people that that spoke with me and and, and tried to take the position that oh my gosh yeah this is a great strategy we're going to go green. And I reminded every single person that told me that that yes that that's true that isn't really the point. The point is to have an efficient process, efficient and effective process, and as a result of having an efficient process, leveraging technology, by default, you will lose less paper. So using less paper wasn't the goal. It was just a positive outcome. So we we took the approach to phase the various functionalities that the platform offered really over a three-year period. We first had to have the payroll function operating squeaky clean uh, before we, we migrated to the live environment. And Everything else was phased after that. The performance management system was phased. Uh, the I-9 implementation, which was ultimately automated, was a phased approach. Uh, and there were th the, the leave management process was, was done in a phased approach. 
So over a three-year period, actually, which ended out being a four-year period, we implemented the different features of the platform so that the company could basically digest the change more effectively. And in higher education, that, that turned out, you know, in retrospect, that turned out to be a really good approach for that environment because uh, even though I could see the, the light at the end of the tunnel with how things could be, I could understand the future state pretty easily. The environment did not. In fact, they may not have even cared in some cases. They just know that they need people to get paid on time. They know that they need to hire people. They know that people exit the organization. And those things needed to be looked at from a process standpoint and improved. That's all they really knew. So it was really a wonderful experience. It was a wonderful opportunity. The employees doing the work in HR and payroll and technology, they could see they got excited about the improvements that were rolling out because they were they were knee deep in the weeds and making it happen. They got very excited about it in a very motivational way, which again was an added benefit. But really, it was it was it was uh, it was kind of the tortoise and the hare approach, where slow and methodical, uh, implement those those features that had the best value, implement one at a time let the system work, make sure it's perfected, let the, let the environment digest the chains, and then implement the next thing. So that was the approach we took. And again, it, it, it turned out pretty well overall. So that's it. So, so Dennis, I think a lot of the principles you're sharing here, um, you know, they, they really apply well in any change management situation, you know, kind of lighting the spark with examples that people can understand and, and in, in this case, really viscerally feel. You know, everybody's, most of us have been in that position of like waiting for that check to come because of that, that bill that needs to be paid. But also, you know, taking, taking your time to do it right. I think you also talk in your chapter about involving people who are going to be impacted by the new system when you're back in the design phase so that you you catch the things that you're not necessarily going to know or understand about how the current process works if you don't involve the people who are already embedded in that and and so if you if you think about the major takeaways from your from your chapter how do you feel or how do you think that the the advice in your chapter will help make leaders and their organizations more successful? Um, I, I think more than anything, recognizing that even in an environment where change management is very slow and very methodical, you can still get to the state, to the future state, where technology is being leveraged and actually benefiting not just frontline workers, but all workers and managers and providing a financial benefit to the organization in the top, in the context of true cost. And uh, the, the, the message from my perspective uh, is, is always about you shouldn't have to have a trade-off with benefiting certain aspects of the environment but maybe being neutral or even not benefiting other aspects of the environment. So I try to illustrate the different examples in the chapter to highlight 
to highlight the fact that A, it can and should be done, and B, if if you create a new vision and you stay on course and you are methodical, and of course, if you engage the right stakeholders and continue to tell your story and continue to talk about the future state, you can get there, even though it takes a lot of time, a lot of work, and a lot of patience. Uh, and if you stick to it, the likelihood of success is very, very high. If you change a lot along the way, big changes, change course a lot of times, well, who knows how those things will turn out. But uh, but more than anything, uh, I like I wanted to show that you you can, in fact, leverage technology, certainly in HR and payroll to benefit all, not just not just employees or managers. Uh, I've always believed that in order just as I started out, you know, using the the model that I talked about, it's important to view these kind of change initiatives organizationally from a business perspective. I'm pretty sure most HR people would say, yeah, we need to fix these problems because our students are suffering. Of course that's true. But how are you going to pay for it? Where's the money going to come from? How are you going to show that it's actually going to save money? And how much are you going to save? And how long will that savings last? Because if we make an investment today, we're writing out a check to somebody. And are we really going to save money or are we just going to have to add more people to operate the new system. And uh, again, I tried to illustrate some of those concepts in real time because in the experience that, that we had at Cal Poly Pomona Foundation, those things materialized, those benefits to the student workers, to all the managers, and it saved the organization money over time uh, and continues to save the organization money. Uh, those are positive outcomes. So is there a, uh, this was a three, four year project. Is there a particular uh, success story that you're particularly proud of during that time? Uh, there, there, there are many success stories that I'm, I'm happy about. But let me talk about a real simple one because uh, I'm, uh, I'm not going to say I'm proud of it uh, in, in the context of being really pleased with it, but I, I want to share a, an approach that, that we took about implementing mobile. We, we have a lot of peoples on the campus, a lot of workers who work all over the campus. And the campus, just to keep it in context, is about 1,700 acres. So think for a moment that you have hourly workers, and in California, you, you're required to, to track when a person clocks in and out of, of lunch and you have to do it within the first five hours. And it's, it's pretty technical and you don't want to make any mistakes there. So think for a moment that you're an hourly worker and you're on the other side of campus, which might be a mile and a half away, but you have to clock in, you have to clock out to take your lunch. And so you have to drive back to the office, clock out and then drive back to, I don't know, a dining venue to eat. And then to, to go back to work, you got to drive back to the office and clock back in. And then you go back to your work site. Think about the amount of time and energy that a person spends just commuting on a campus at the work environment. The amount of waste was enormous. So we implemented a, a, uh, a product for uh, devices, mainly for, for phones. Very, very inexpensive. I mean, the, the, the app itself, I think, is free. The license to use those kind of products is next to free. They're not free, but it's a very insignificant cost. 
So when we when we went down that path to implement mobile, there were a lot of people, a lot of people that said, Dennis, this is never going to work in this environment. We're just not going to it's just not going to work. So I heard that loud and clear and I understood that I was going to have to be creative. So I, I took a person from the accounting department who was also very technologically adept, a very junior person. And uh, I worked with her directly for six months and I set her up with a mobile license and she and I together worked out every possible kink that we could imagine with using mobile. And it came down to one kink that we had a problem with. And the kink was this. On the campus, the the way the technology was designed is they have these little Wi-Fi antennas all over the place. And when you're in the, the mobile device and the mobile app, it has security features. And the security features basically would kick you offline if you switched between antennas. So imagine that you're walking in on a beautiful campus and you're walking a you know, to another set of buildings and you're looking at your phone and you're you're clocking in and out. And all of a sudden you get kicked out of this out of the app and it's frustrating. So we we called the we called the software vendor to ask them how to solve this problem. And they kind of scratch their heads a little bit. So then I came up with an idea. I asked this worker, I said her name was Alicia. I said, Alicia. The next time you clock in and out, just stand still wherever you're at. Just stand still. Stop moving. And she stopped moving and it solved the problem. So that's actually how we found out that the security and the platform wouldn't allow you to wouldn't allow the, the, the app to actually migrate between uh, Wi-Fi antennas. Now, the reason I tell that story, Joyce, is because ultimately that was the last thing that I was worried about before we rolled that product out to 300 people it, because I knew people would complain. I knew other people would do it. And once we found that out, I, I was able to tell people that any time that you're using the product, you need to you need to stand still. Frankly, yeah. you, should, you should you should stand still anyway for safety reasons. Yes. You <laughs> so you're not walking into so, your neighbors. Right. Yeah. So so think for a moment that we solved a major technological problem just by standing still. So yeah. it, it's it's not a completely insightful story, but it, it just goes to show that it's important to, to pay attention to basics. Uh, but that was the final issue that we needed to resolve. And it, it took a month to resolve it. It didn't happen just instantly. But uh, she and I, uh, we kicked it around several times We because she was she was really a technological expert. She couldn't figure it out and she's much smarter than I was. But ultimately, when we tried that, the problem resolved itself. So. Um, so, again, that's that was the story that I like to tell, because it's such a simple it's such a simple example that, you know, technology is not perfect. But if you think about it, you don't have to spend tens of thousands of dollars to solve every problem. Right. And if you if you test it the way it's going to be used, as opposed to in a laboratory environment, if you will, that's where you're going to that's where you're going to work out those little nuanced kinks. And I think I think we see that in a lot of technology innovations where there can be um, 
She's one classic is just manual interventions that are routinely being applied in a process that, you know, the planners and the developers know nothing about, but it's something the people in the trenches have been doing for years because it's some kind of automatic course correction they do to address some deficiency outside of a process. Like, well, this thing all, always, I don't know, takes seven cents off the total, so we're going to add seven cents back in, you know, whatever it is. And then you deploy the new the new system. And it's like, wait a minute, why is this always off by seven cents? And you know, nobody told Betty down in the payroll department that she didn't have to add the seven cents back <laughs> in anymore. That would be actually a real example of, in my experience. Um, so, so when you think about, uh, you know, you you mentioned along the way here that you know there there are people and there were people who said, well, you know, this thing's never going to work. So. When you think about the kinds of challenges that maybe you um, had or experienced objections to or challenges to uh, as you were thinking about each phase phase of this project, like what are what are some of the common objections that people might uh, anticipate that they would encounter if they were going to try and, and do a similar HR technology deployment? And what are the things they can do to mitigate those challenges? Uh, there, there, are, there are a couple, a couple of things that come to mind on that particular question. Uh, the first one I'll talk about is a fairly easy one. Uh, in, in the experience we had at Cal Poly Pomona, the, the foundation manages the grants and contracts for the faculty that do research on the campus. So we interacted a lot with faculty. And uh, faculty that do research, they're, they're laser focused on research. So a lot of times they're not too focused on the administration that goes on behind research. For example, recording time properly for the people that do, you know, that work for them, mainly student workers. And they're often not too happy about migrating away from how they do things today to a new to a new way of doing things regardless of the reason so i think recognizing that particular obstacle at least in in the environment of higher education was essential so how do you solve the problem well you don't let one or two barriers stop the change management process so what we did, and there's certainly different ways to handle this, what we, what the approach that I took is we're going to get 70, 80, 90, 95% of the people transitioned to how we do business electronically. And if we need to deal with the 5% or the 3% or the 2%, we'll bring them along when they're ready for it. And there was one, there was one faculty member who was a very, very well-respected researcher at Pomona. Uh, she may still be there, so I won't mention her name, whom I liked and respect. In fact, everybody respected her, deeply respected in the community. Uh, she had a lot of reasons not to take advantage of the technology until five or six years went by and basically Every obstacle she threw up, I tried to remove for her. Gee, Dennis, my my operating system on my laptop is is an old version of XYZ, 
it doesn't interact well with the new system because the new system needs current technology. So I went so far as to say, look, we'll buy you a new laptop if that's all it takes. We'll get the new software installed for you. So after a lot of that type of discussion, which, by the way, I never did because she she didn't really want that. She just didn't want to change. She finally she finally caved and she changed. And in all fairness, she was the best user of that platform after after she drank the Kool-Aid, after she changed. And 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 that's really a, a key point. In any environment, there, there are going to be people that just absolutely refuse to do something, especially in higher education. Uh, and sometimes you just have to accept that, but you don't let that prevent you from gaining the benefits for the total. And it, it, it may not be perfect, and I know there's different thoughts on that particular approach. Some people disagree, uh, but that's the approach we used, and it worked out quite well. The other thing, though, and this is this is really the big the big meat of the the thought process. I'll, I'll always think about uh, from a change management standpoint. I'll always think about how to match your workflows to the system. Uh, I've spoken with many people, many organizations who take the reverse approach. G. Dennis. We we process our work like X, Y, Z, and we need to do that. Can we configure the system to do it that way? And in every case, I've said, A, I don't know. B, if all you're going to do is take a technology platform and mirror all of your current manual processes, you just want them done electronically. My recommendation is not to buy the software. Don't do it. Because the only thing you're going to do is incur cost, and you're not going to get any value. In fact, you're going to have to hire people to operate the system. You know, that's the, you miss the whole point. It's kind of like the analogy about, gee, I want to go paperless. I, I want I want my environment to be paperless. That's not really the point. The point is is to have an efficient process, and as a result of an efficient process, you will have less paper. So it's that whole mindset that is often not so much the customer base. It's often found in the IT and the HR departments. And it's not it's not a criticism. It's just what I've experienced. And talking about the that particular change management barrier, I think those two things, A, you need to be patient, but most importantly, you need to start with a clean sheet of paper. I think Stephen Covey, you know, start with the end in mind. It, it, it's excellent conceptual advice, but how do you do that? Well, you start with a clean sheet of paper and you acknowledge that the outcomes are what's important. The how to may be important, but it's not nearly as important as the outcome. And if you can get past that one little thought, you will be able to take technology and leverage it. If you can't get past that thought, you're going to find yourself in customization heaven. Yeah, having having been on the um, the vendor side of that equation for well 20 years at this point over 20 years um you know i can say nothing but you know amen it is um i think it is always very hard for people to change and um i think as you said the most important thing you can do is say look what are 
we've no doubt been living with a lot of constraints for a long time and, and aspects of our current way of doing things that people don't care for. So let's do start with that blank sheet of paper. It's a great opportunity to, to rethink the way things are being done. And, you know, if you if you start from the perspective that the vendor needs to modify their technology in order to suit your old way of doing things, it also puts the vendor in a difficult solution. Because believe me, vendors do make changes to their technology all the time because the customer makes it a condition of uh, a partnership or an investment. Uh, but it generally does not serve the vendor or the customer well to take that approach. Um, it's uh, and 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 just really makes it that much harder to work together in a partnership. So I, I think that is really good advice for any kind of change effort. I think the other thing is never underestimate the emotional um drivers behind a resistance to change. I I think sometimes people, even people in very powerful positions in an organization, can be quite frightened at at um what making a change might expose about them or their deficiencies. You know, you talk about your well respected professor who didn't want to change. And and I would bet a lot of money that she probably had some real concerns that that she would not be able to handle the change and and therefore would be diminished in some way by even attempting to do so so i think you can't you can't underestimate sort of the human emotional component beyond whatever business reasons people might come up with agreed so my last, um, my, my final question for you, Dennis, is what parting thoughts would you like to leave with our listeners that, uh, that I haven't already touched on? Uh, I think in today's environment, it's, it's always important to, to talk about the pandemic that we're all experiencing, uh, not so much from a technology standpoint, uh, but I would always encourage people to you know, pay attention to the CDC advice and, and know that we, we will, we will make, migrate out of this pandemic. We don't know when it, it will happen. Uh, and it's a very, very difficult time for everyone, everyone in the world. No one is, is unique. Uh, one of the comments I've, I've made to, to others is, uh, myself and perhaps yourself as well, Joyce, we, we lived through some pretty tough times. We've lived through the, the Great Recession. And it's important to acknowledge employees today, uh, 25% or so, maybe even 30%, they weren't in the workforce when the Great Recession hit just 12 years ago. So I think it's important to be mindful of, of all people, but especially the people that who have never experienced this, this dramatic disruption, very negative disruption in the workplace even if you happen to be one of the fortunate people who haven't lost their job, uh, maybe you're in an industry that has higher demands as opposed to no demand. Uh, this is a very, very difficult time, and yet we'll get through it. We will get through it, and I'm not going to say we're going to be stronger for it, but we will get through it, and we will learn things from it. Hopefully, we'll learn enough to be better prepared the next time a pandemic comes along. Uh, from a technology standpoint, uh, working remotely, uh, many people across America are working remotely, and it's a great time to to 
if, if you're not already doing it, it's a great time to enhance your technological skills. It's a great time to learn how to use technology tools that maybe you haven't had time to use or even the need. Uh, one of the things I, I like to think about, in fact, in my work environment, we had a discussion just uh, a couple of days ago about how to use the mobile timekeeping product for hourly workers who are working remotely. And it's a great discussion to have. So there are still things that you can you can do even in this difficult time to continue to advance your skill set and, and be fully prepared to emerge from it because we will get through it and um, not without some more pain and suffering, I'm afraid, but we will get through it. And I think it's important to re remain focused on, you know, 6, 12, 18 months from now. Uh, because right now things look very, very dim for people all over the world. So other than that, uh, I would say, you know, stay well and uh, and that's it. Yeah. Thank you so much, Dennis. Thanks. Um, thanks for sharing those thoughts, because I, I think we all we all are going through difficult times right now. And um, yeah, you and I are, are in that same generation who not only experienced the Great Recession, but, you know, the recession in the early 80s and the oil crisis in the 70s and, you know, wars and the AIDS epidemic. And, you know, this this one feels bigger than what we've experienced before. Um, but we have gotten through very hard times before. And, and a lot of it is is dependent on people, you know, looking, you know, looking down the road and, and starting to think about recovery and, and what can we do differently and what would we do differently um, to to react to a situation like this in the future. So for our for our listeners today, I hope you are all um, staying home and staying well. And uh, we really appreciate you taking the time to listen uh, to our discussion today, you can comment yourself on this discussion at workforceinstitute.org. And uh, until next time, thanks so much for listening.